Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Amen. It's great to see everybody again. It's lovely for the family to gather together. Amen. Just nudge your neighbor and say you're a family. You know, being at the ALS, we just saw the global family come together. And literally, we met people from all, all over the world. But there's such a, a oneness in the spirit, such a, a knowing. Even for people you haven't met, there's a knowing of them that is there, that is so um, unfaked. It's natural. It's authentic. It's, it's unforced. It's uncoerced. It's just a resident um, glue, if you would, uh, of a welding together of hearts that God is formulating all over the planet. The text that Julian quoted was very critical earlier, and we'll address it later. Balak could not curse Israel by virtue of the tribal configuration of the nation. When he saw from the mountaintop, they both went up to a mountaintop, and they looked down with the intent of cursing. But the way in which Israel was configured by families, clans, and tribes, was a prohibitive factor to the intent of the enemy to curse them. You have to find yourself located within a family, within a tribe. When the enemy looks upon where we are placed, that is why I want to encourage you. People often misunderstand us when we want you to be committed, want you to be part of the meetings, want you to graft into the family. It's for your good. So long as you're in the house, remember in Israel at the time of the Exodus, so long as you were in the house upon which the blood was smeared, you were immune to the angel of death that was sent throughout the entire um, uh, territory to curse and to bring death upon the firstborn. So you had to be located under a father in a house and receive immunity in a time of great Exodus to, from bondage to a more preferred uh, position in the Lord. Amen. So I want to encourage us all to... Uh, really, really uh, connect. Amen. And you all have a set of notes. Um, if you don't, just pick your hand up and somebody will get you one from the desk. Uh, everybody have a set of notes. I've chosen um, not to teach with PowerPoint today, but you have the set of notes in front of you. Uh, just in an attempt to go a bit faster this morning because I want to wrap this particular focus up today so as we can go on to other issues at our next sitting together. Amen? The issue that we are dealing with is understanding, accessing, and growing in grace. This now is our sixth session, but really the third part in the sixth session. So I want to attempt to conclude it today. This particular focus is on partaking of apostolic grace. I don't want to labor the points that we have already covered, except just to reiterate one or two of them. And then what I want to do today more is to bring some practical application to some of the things that we have been mentioning. Everybody desires a greater quantum and quality of grace. Everybody wants that. Not so? You want more and you want a greater quality of the same. God in His wisdom has packaged this grace 
in apostles and other ascension gift ministers. Right? We're referencing, as I've said, apostles. We're zoning in on apostolic grace for the simple reason that the apostolic is absolutely foundational to the other four ascension gifts. Right? When you, when you think apostolic, you think of firstness. 1 Corinthians 12.28 says, He set some in the church, first, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then helps, miracles, administrations, and diversities of other gifts. Any gift expression, be it ascension gift ministries, be it the nine gifts of the Holy Ghost, or the seven motivational gifts in Romans 12, any gift expression is, must be rooted upon an apostolic understanding. So the apostolic configures the operation of the church. It's a building anointing, if you would. It's filled with wisdom. Its intent is to see Christ formed in the life of every believer. Okay? Its intent, its focus, it's, it, it's Christ-centered. When apostles work, they have grace, like Paul said in Corinthians, to me grace was given as a wise master builder. Please note the terms. Everyone say grace. So this, an apostle is saying, to me, grace was given. So we are saying, if we as an, a church want to really increase our quantum and quality of grace, there's a deposit, if you would, a great reservoir of grace vested in a person called an apostle that you must be aware of and must actively participate in. Failure to do that will mean that you will render your potential to mature in God futile. Right? If you neglect apostolic grace, you will not mature. It's as simple as that. Right? Now, aren't we a maturing church? Yes? Right? If you're here just for a good time, you've come to the wrong church. We are intent on maturing you. Right? We are intent on growing you up. Right? For that reason, apostles, together with other ascension gift ministries, are given for your perfection, right? Now, let me just go straight to um, where in your notes on page 3, if you look at the bottom of page 3, is Ephesians 4, 6, 4, 11 to 16, which we have already read and discussed. But on the next page, on the top of page 4, I chose to delineate the outcomes just so that we could be aware of it. Now, all of these are taken from Ephesians 4. So, um, just, just watch. Yeah, in the front. So, he gave five gift ministries, right? Apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, pastors, and, and teachers. And then Ephesians 4 delineates the objectives. They have very specific objectives or outcomes they want to see manifest in the life of each individual son of God and also in the corporate church, right? Those outcomes are the following. Let's just go to them. The equipping of the saints for the work of service. Everyone say equip. Right? We are, we are not, you are not here primarily to be blessed. You are here to be equipped. Blessed you would be, but when you leave, go out empowered and equipped to do the work of service. Right? So an apostolic house is an equipping house. Right? This is an equipping house. This, in a sense is like Solomon's quarry. You know, in the quarry is where stones are, are chipped and, and shaped. In Solomon's day, God said to him, 
on the building site, the actual temple on the site, God didn't want the sound of a hammer or, or, or metal instruments to be heard on the building site. So what Solomon did in the quarry, which was a distance from the building site, there you heard the banging, the noise, where stones were shaped. So stones were shaped to particular dimensions, cut out from rocks, and they were carried to the temple site, and there fitly framed, fitly arranged, fitly joined to erect a temple. Tell your neighbor, welcome to the quarry. <laughs> this is the quarry. Right? Your local house is the quarry. The temple is the corporate house. The corporate temple that God is building in the city. So here we shape you. Hallelujah. Can you hear the sound of the hammer? <laughs> okay. So you are being equipped and shaped for the work of service. Not so? Right? Then it says, for the building up of the body of Christ. I don't want to go through each one in, in detail. So we build up the body of Christ. Number three, we, uh, we want to attain to the unity or the oneness of the, faith, of, of the faith. The word unity is a bad translation there. The Greek word ace means oneness used here. So it's oneness. Um, if you are divisive in your thinking, if you are schismatic in your behavior, if you are intent, if you are, are primed and motivated to when you come to a corporate community like this or any other context, be it your workplace, be it your sports team, and if you have the intent of sowing discord, sowing division, putting up one against the other, uh, that is not the spirit of Christ. Right? That is not the spirit of Christ. The intent of all of these five gifts, especially apostles, they want to see engendered within the body of Christ a oneness. And I want to encourage you to read this book in reference to that. A oneness. A togetherness. You will never realize the blessing and the power of corporate strength until you hold it up as a priority in your heart and you seek after it. If you distance yourself when you maintain your individuality and your independence outside of the group, you will never ever attain corporate maturity. Never ever. Do you know, I was having a discussion with a minister late last night, and uh, we were talking about what are the yardsticks for maturity. They were talking about various things. I said to him, my, my main indicator of, of whether a person is mature or not would be the degree to which he's mastered relationships. Right? And the scriptures are clear about this. Love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you. Pray for those that despitefully. The next verse says, For then you will be sons of your father. Sons, you are mature sons. Do you know you will never ever mature unless you master relationships? Do you know that maturity can never ever be discussed outside of a context of your relating to people. Do you know that? You can't say to me, I'm going to go away for the next 40 years on a mountain, seek God, pray, read my Bible every day. I'm going to come back the most mature son. I'll say, no, come. Go, right, bro, carry on, carry on. But come. Just come the next day. I'll put you in a bunch of people. Yeah. And let them test you and relate to you. Then I'll, I'll see whether you are mature. Amen. 
So just tell the persons round about you, you are my context to mature. <laughs> right? Let me just say this, all relationships will be tested. And you must pass the relational maturity test. Okay? The relational maturity test must be passed by every single one of us. And then it says, attaining to the knowledge of the Son of God. Number five, according to, the, to a mature man, which is further described as the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, the, the inability to be deceived by demonic schemes. It says, speaking the truth in, speaking the truth in love. Growth into all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, whose expression is not individualistic, but corporate within a culture of love. Now we could spend a whole year just on those statements. All I want to do by listing that is you must stand back at this list, all of us, we must look at the list and say, wow, that's a tall order, not so? But it's what we are going toward. It's what we are called to mature. But you will never get there without accessing the grace given to five specialist ministries, of whom apostles are foundational to the rest. You will never get there without participating in the grace given to apostles. Specifically. I call it apostolic grace. Okay? The way in which this happens is, you've, you've got to recognize them. Um, I can do that for you if you want help. <laughs> but when I say we have a valid, authentic apostle to whom we relate, you mustn't believe me because I said it. You must come to a revelation of that truth yourself. It must unearth and break open something in your life. And then you esteem the vessel that God has positioned in your life to accomplish all of these outcomes. Absent your ability to perceive grace, you can't receive it. Remember we discussed Galatians 2.9. Paul came to Galatia and he says, When I and Barnabas came in and among you, what happened? You, Peter, James, and John were with pillars. They perceived the grace. Everyone say perceive grace. Uh, what does the word perceive mean? Come on. To see. In other words, if you can't see it, you can't receive it. If you don't receive it, it's not going to have its desired impact in you. Right? That is why I honor it when I recognize it. If you don't recognize it for what it is, you will dishonor it. You will even cross the line and speak evil against it. And when that happens, you are in a serious place where of a land called cursed. Right? I want to encourage you, never ever violate to be dishonorable towards authentic grace that God has packaged in human vessels. You will be the poorer because of it. That issue I will discuss at length in a, in a separate study. We will discuss, you know, there are various ways of accessing grace. One of the powerful ways is simply to honor the vessel that carries the grace designed to benefit you. But we can use those terms loosely. I honor, I honor, I honor. But the Bible is very clear. It enunciates extremely practical ways in which these things can be, can be done. And you will be all the more grace enriched. Amen? So tell your neighbor, honor grace. I said to you, uh, point uh, three on, on, on page four, 
the grace will come to you via the doctrine of the apostle, the teaching of the apostle. It comes to you in that fashion. We labor that point on page five. Um, on on uh, point number four, I, um, we taught that spiritual leaders or fathers receive grace from apostles as well as from other ascension gift ministries. Right? I don't want to go through this because we went through this painstakingly. If you, if you missed that whole section, please get the tape from two weeks ago. I am not an apostle. I'm a teacher. I know that, right? I am the leader of this house. When I stand before you, I don't stand before you as a teacher. I stand before you as a father. I'm an elder of a locality, right? All elders must be fatherly in their disposition over the house. Are you a family? Yes or no? Come on, two. Are you family? You are family. The head of every family is a, a father. That father, when he stands over the family, could be any one of the fivefold gifts. Like, I am not an apostle. I think I'm a teacher. But I'm a, for you, I'm your spiritual father in the Lord. One thing that I really stress in the study is this. When a man leads a house as an elder or a spiritual father, leading sons and maturing them in the ways of Christ, irrespective of what his fivefold or ascension gift calling is, irrespective, if he himself is not an apostle, that person needs to ensure that he's accurately connected to an authentic apostolic expression or source. I can speak plainly here because uh, we are family. For this local house, we have that in the person of uh, Pastor Thamo and Marola Naidu, an authentic apostolic expression to whom we relate. Everyone say apostolic grace. That grace is designed to, comes to us, comes to us via a methodology, a protocol. And let me just say this, God did not consult you for how he wants to do this. Tell your neighbor, you have no say here. <laughs> okay. And if, if I were God, Lord, why did you make this arrangement? Why have you ordered things like this? God is sovereign. Right? Remember what he said to Job when Job tried to answer back? He said, were you there when I laid the, the earth on its foundations? Okay? It's something you must, listen carefully, brethren, something you must learn to grow and accept. The more it becomes an awareness and a revelation in you, the more the reality of it stares you in the face, the more vociferous, if you would, the more uh, zealous and aggressive you adopt a position to pursue it. Right? It's a sacred area for me. It's sacrosanct. I'm going to say it again. So that you, you, it references and it, it resonates in your spirit. Watch. This is sacred. Because God said this. If you reject the one I send to you, you've rejected me. I know if I reject the apostle from whom I receive the grace of Christ, I know in essence I've I've, 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 I've rejected Christ himself. If I dishonor that vessel, I have dishonored the deity himself. I want to say it again. Please repeat after me. This is sacred. Sacred means holy. It's like an area you want to tread very carefully on. You don't want to be flippant. You don't want to be casual. You don't want to be carnal in this area. 
I often say to people, sin all you want to, but don't come and sin in this area. The repercussions are too grave. Yet the blessings are equally more powerful. Amen? Hallelujah. I trust you love the apostle to whom we relate. It's my intent to well up and, and steam within you for this. Not to deify men. We don't, we don't honor men. Oh, we do honor men. <laughs> but we don't demi-worship or regard them as demigods. Right? But we regard the protocol of God and the order of His working and what they represent to us. Amen? Tell your neighbor we are well covered. <laughs> I'm telling you. I, I am so glad and grateful for our location in the Spirit. We are well and sufficiently endowed. Listen, if you are grace deficient, you only have yourself to blame. If you are grace lacking, it's not that, it's not grace, that grace is not available. It's simply either you've, the revelation hasn't hit you and you've failed to practically enter into the working of that grace. So tell you never, grace is available everywhere. Grace is available everywhere. I'm going to pray a prayer of impartation towards the end of the service. But I want you to open your spirit as we continue. Just open your heart and allow the Lord to lead you into an economy. Because, like I said, if we ask the question, who wants more grace? The hands will grow up, go up left, right, and center. But then I explain to people biblically, here's the method. Here's it. The quality and quantum of grace can increase rapidly. You just must position, and your life will change. Your life will change. Hallelujah. Grace is available. Hallelujah. And then um, I demonstrated this economy through two uh, illustrations. One in the manner that fell in the Old Covenant. Okay, I don't want to go through that. And then also in John 6, the feeding of the the 5,000. And how that... This thought that Christ, listen carefully, who is full of grace and truth, wants to dispense that grace to people everywhere. Not so. But he chooses to package it in vessels called apostles and other ascension gift ministries. Those apostles will transmit that bread to fathers of households. Remember they sat in groups of 50 at the feeding of the 5,000. And each man or head of a household would then dispense the word, which is symbolized by the bread, to the ordinary people within his house. So, remember what did Christ do before he gave the bread to the apostles? He lifted the bread, and what did he do? He blessed it. Everyone say, he blessed it. The word blessed means to infuse or to invoke inwardly in. It's like the substance in him, transferred into the bread. The bread was given to who then? Come on, talk to me. Who was the bread given to? No, no, no. What the fathers? Who was the bread given to from Christ? The apostles. Their destination is the fathers. But they are distributed in the hands of apostles. If the fathers want the bread, who must they relate to? The apostles. So the fathers in groups of 50 Not counting women and children, the Bible says 5,000 men, suggesting those men were heads of households. Those went to their families, orderly arranged, and then further distributed the, the grace. And so grace was spread to the
grace was spread to the multitude. Everyone say five. What's the number five suggestive of? You know, that grace. Watch. Five loaves are also suggestive of fivefold ministry. So in the twelve is the five. Five loaves given to twelve. That is why I say the apostolic is foundational to and inclusive of the other four sentient gift ministries. Right? Because the five representative of a fivefold ministry is given to apostles. Thumb often says in the twelve is the five and in the five are the twelve and vice versa. Okay? We won't unpack that now because that's more for leaders. But in any case. So grace is disseminated to people everywhere. Now, I want to encourage you. What is 50 suggestive of? Multiplication of grace. If five is grace, 50 must be amplified grace. They were arranged in groups of 50. So when the grace hits the people, the people become a people of grace. I like to say they become grace characterized. Tell your neighbor you need to be known as a person of grace. Oh, come on, church. just say it loud. Say it loud, grace. There's something that's going to happen this morning. Please trust me. I know what God's going to do. You're going to become so grace characterized. People see you. Um, the greatest descriptor of you is going to be Elvis. Is, oh, that couple in Laurel, that family is a family of grace. Ultimately, Christ who is full of grace gives it to apostles, who gives it to fathers, who gives it to families, and what is five becomes fifty. That's why the bread multiplied. Grace has the effect of multiplying. And the furthest destination of the grace has potential to be the most grace-laden. Its destination, it's where it accumulates. Remember the oil on Aaron's head? Where does it end up? Filters down, face, beard, garments, edge of the skirts. The greatest location of the oil would be in the furthest extremity of the body. Let me just say this. That's why Elisha operated in double portion of Elijah. Come on. (laughs) Are you listening to me? How much manna? What does manna mean? Who is it? What is it? Remember? How much manna did each father of the house collect every day when it fell? What does the scripture say? Enough for the house. And then the next verse says, Some collected more and others collected little. But the father of the house knew what the grace capacity of his house was. Right? Trust me, brethren. I know I know your capacity. If you, that's why, if I were you, tell yourself, Easter weekend is my reading weekend. And the position must, because as much as you have the, the capacity to receive, so will God release. I'm saying to the Lord right now, Lord, I want, uh, somebody bought me an external hard drive for my Mac. It's Mac compatible. And it's one terabyte. I didn't even know how much gigs a terabyte was when I saw the package. It's a thousand gigs, is it? So don't play. I'm out of the gigs <laughs> phase now. I'm into terabytes. Huh? 
And, and when I opened it, just in the week, I was so, the past two weeks were just so busy. I didn't have a chance to open it. Two days ago, I opened it just to format and to connect. And I'm thinking, wow, this thing got great capacity. It's even got more capacity than some PCs. I can put stuff on there. And the Lord was saying this to me, Randolph, increase your capacity to receive. For if you enlarge your heart, there's no telling to the quantum and quality of grace I can give you. But God cannot give us more than we can bear. Otherwise, there will be heart drive overload. Not hard drive. Things will malfunction. I want to encourage you. Everyone just do this. Your, your grace capacity must grow. Must, must increase. Must increase. It increases by your capacity to receive word. Capacity to receive the word of the Lord. Okay? Where was the manna found, by the way? Under the cloud, but where? Under the cloud. On the ground, where? On the ground. Under what? Under the dew on the ground. What is dew? Deuteronomy 32. Let my teaching or doctrine drop like rain. The next part of the verse is, and my speech distill like dew. From doctrine you get the specific speaking of the Lord. Let me just say this to you. If you can access the speaking of the Lord, you can access grace. There's plenty due around. Plenty. Amen. On page 8, quickly, I want to get to where I really want to go. Point 5, I stress the following. Paul was so um, confident about this in Ephesians 3, 1 and 2. He says, grace was given to me for, for you. He's talking to the Ephesians as a Gentile sort of nation. And city... Gentiles. He says, I'm convinced the stewardship of God's grace given to me for you. Question, who is, in the, who is the intended recipients of the grace of Christ that Paul is stewarding? In this context, these Ephesians, right? I, like, I just love this phrase, brethren. Grace given to me for you. Grace given to me for you. Come on, say it with me. Grace given to me for you. In our context, grace given to our apostle intended with us as its destination. There's grace available. Just receive how it's packaged. And your life will be transformed. Then on page 9, I'm rushing because we've been through some of these things. I told you I want to conclude this teaching today. By grace, too. Look at the flow diagram that I put there. So, the verse above the flow diagram is 2 Corinthians 4.15, which says, For all things are for your sakes, so that grace which is spreading to more and more people might cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. What is the intent, God's intent, of the grace vested in Christ? God's intent that the grace spreads to more and more people. Do you know that ultimately it's God's desire that ordinary persons are, become recipients of grace? So the grace must be spread to more and more people. 
But who's in contact with more and more people? You are. You are in contact with more and more people. Just like the grace given to the Apostle Paul was intended for the Ephesian believers, in our context, let me make it, um, bring it home, the grace given to our Apostle coming, for example, if you look at the diagram, to a senior elder or a spiritual father, that is, my, that is my person in this context, and my disseminating of that through doctrine to you, which are sons in the, in the house, what must you do then now with the grace that you've received? You must spread it to more and more people everywhere. That's why I like the way Paul starts that verse. This is for your benefit, that grace might be spread to more and more people everywhere. I will show you in a moment how this takes place. In the later session, we will do it quite thoroughly. It's your responsibility to spread the grace in your context, in your business, in your workplace, in your sports club, at school, right? By how you speak and by how you, and by how you live. On page 10, quickly. Grace flows most efficiently within the father-son dyad. The term dyad is simply, dyad is a, it simply means a pair of something. A pair of something, like a, a parent-child dyad. Uh, it usually akin, it describes a particular relationship where the two elements in the relationship are strongly related or should relate strongly. So we speak of, you can speak of a, a, a teacher-pupil dyad, you can speak of a parent-child dyad. We're using it here in terms of father-son dynamic dyad. Use whatever term you want to say. Watch. Listen carefully. This is a very important point. The grace of Christ flows most efficiently, most efficaciously within a father-son dyad. Grace can flow literally, I believe, anywhere. If there's an apostle present who carries grace and even other ascension gift ministers all carry grace. And if you are in that context and they are ministering the word of the Lord, in no doubt you will be the recipient of grace. All we are saying in this point is this. The father-son wineskin is the most ideal for the efficient flow of grace. If you as a son sit there relating to your spiritual leader as a son and not just a member. Tell you that membership is obsolete. Let me impress this upon us, brethren. I want to encourage us. If you have not entered into sonship yet, if you still see yourself as a member of this church, but don't see, for example, myself and Renee as your father in the Lord, you are missing out on a quantum and quality of grace that is designed to benefit you. Grace, in, grace, you will get some grace, but all I'm, all I'm saying is maximize it by entering into the relationship, right? By entering into the relationship. And we looked at several verses there, they're there for your reading, where Paul imparts grace to a son, Timothy and Titus. But he speaks as a father. And the invocation, grace, peace, mercy, and from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, to you he speaks as a father to his son's in the, in the Lord. Amen? So sonship is a critical ingredient um, of this. Okay? Now, go to page 11. This is where I really want to get. 
This is the greatest day to be alive in the kingdom. I'm, I'm, I'm more convinced about this truth than ever before. This is the greatest season of God to be alive in. I thank God I wasn't born in the last century. Okay? Or the 15. Imagine ran off in the 1500s. <laughs> Just like so inconceivable. No Wi-Fi, for example. <laughs> okay? We were born today, and today is the best time to be alive. Best time to be alive, brethren. You're going to enter an economy, grace is going to hit you. You know, I'm tired of preaching theoretical stuff where we don't walk practically in the thing. I am not going to measure my life. If I say I am the recipient of grace, there must be overt signs in my life that this grace is benefiting me somehow. Configuring my sonship, like I said to you in session two, and empowering my service in God. It must have practical outflows. And let me just say this to you all. Today, never mind next week, today could be the start of your capacity to receive more grace than you've ever had before. Right? Tell your neighbor, terabyte grace. We're moving to another realm. What's beyond terabytes, by the way? Anybody? Petabyte. Tell you never petabyte grace. God said to me, I was praying last night, the two things, quantum and quality, the amount and its configuration. The quantum and the quality of grace that is going about to unleash to the earth is going to be so great. But it's going to come to those that are accurately positioned for its reception. It's going to change your life forever. It's going to change and transform your life forever and ever. Get ready. Just get position yourself, brethren, for this reality. Amen. Now, go to page 12. I'm going to read the account of the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem. I won't have time to talk about the city of God and the walls, great and high walls, which are representative of the apostolic, and how the fivefold ministers gates, which are representative of patriarchal fathering. Right? Each gate is a pearl. Find your pearl of great price. We've discussed these things before. I just thought to rehearse this account in Matthew 21. Watch what happens here. When they had entered and approached Jerusalem. Now what is Jerusalem? For us it's the church. The new Jerusalem, the bride, a descending reality, descending from the heavens. Right? The new Jerusalem is us. He had come to Bethphage. I didn't make this in your notes, but uh, you can just write above the word Bethphage if you want to. The word Bethphage means house of unripened figs. House of unripened figs. As, now, unripened figs are not ripe figs. So unripened figs is a house that never produces ripe fruit. The fruit is there but never comes to ripened quality. And only ripened quality fruit is productive or useful fruit. Figs, they say to me, take a long while to get to that place. So yes, years and years of toil and labor in the vineyard. Ultimately, it produces but never reaches its fullest intent. So it's like labor, 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 labor. You're working, 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 and you never ever realize and eat of the blessing for the thing that you have worked for. It's striving in the flesh. One thing, uh, a session we will do later is how not to work by perspiration, but to work by grace. So notice the context that Jesus is at Bethphage in the vicinity. The intent is to enter Jerusalem. The intent is to enter Jerusalem. How does he come? 
at the Mount Olives, and Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them. Everyone say, untie them. Untie the donkey and the colt and bring them to me. If anyone says to you anything to you, sorry, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you gentle, mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal and a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them. And he sat where? On the coats. Most, not all, most of the crowd were spreading their coats on the road. And others were cutting down branches of trees, spreading them across the road. I understand it's Palm Sunday today. Someone just told me as we were driving here. So this is a relevant reading for those of you who are Palm Sunday minded. Number nine, verse nine, the crowds going ahead of them and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Watch, without reference to your notes, let me just explain this. You can read the details later. Watch. Jesus wants to enter the city. We, the church of the living God, we also are a city. Hebrews 12 calls us the city of the living God. Durban is the geographical city in which we live. But our constitution as a family, we meet as a church or as a city, in a city. Remember the Bible says you are a royal priest with a holy nation. What nation are you? You can say I'm South African, but also the higher order would be I belong to the kingdom, which is a nation within a nation. God always has a people within a people. In a geographical city, there is another city within the city called the church of the living God. So with that in mind, I want you to think, do not see this as Jesus entering or desiring to enter Jerusalem as a natural city. See it as he wanting to come fully into the life of his church, the city of the living God. How does he come? He sends two disciples uh, to look for a donkey and its cult. Most of the pictorial representations of this narrative is entirely wrong. All you see when you see pictures of this, you see Jesus riding on a donkey and palm trees, etc. The, graf- the count is very graphic here. It's not a donkey, it's a donkey and its cult. It's father donkey and son donkey. It's two generations upon which he came riding in. So if you were to diagrammatically depict this, I think you would be sitting on father donkey with his legs on son donkey and they were transporting him in. Somehow. But he was not riding on one, he was riding on both. He was riding on two generations. It will take the father-son dyad. It will take the father-son dynamic the father-son wineskin, to usher in the fullness of grace 
present within Christ into this city of the living God. If you're going to be a conduit of grace, not just the recipient of grace, if you want to position yourself as, I want to be the carrier of Christ, I've got to position myself within a relationship, either as father or sons. And brethren, I'm tired of playing games. You're either a son or you're not a son. Stop the straddling between two positions. Otherwise, you, what you're going to find, brethren, is you will not have the capacity to bring Christ into anything. Because let me say this. When the grace of Christ is within His city, the geographical city will be impacted. Your home will be impacted. Your children will be impacted too. Right? But it all depends on where you have placed yourself in terms of the father-son relationship. He rides on the donkey and it's cold. And let me just say this to you. Some of you are too tied. That's why Jesus said, go to the city and untie the donkeys. The donkey and its cult. There are some people too bound. Your, 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 the, the strength of the pull of the world is too great. Either the world or the pull to a particular carnal way of viewing things spiritual too great and you can't be released to enter fully into this economy. It's time. Tell your neighbor, it's time. It's time, brethren. You don't know what you are foregoing as a blessing when you stand aloof from these things. And when you rationalize in your mind, I think I can make it if I do it my way. The reading that Quentin read was phenomenally important this morning. Try all you want to. Just know that God's not going to finance and back your trip to Tarshish. Right? Do it, do it your way, but know that heaven is not obligated to support anything that heaven has not authorized. If heaven doesn't initialize something, heaven is not obligated to sustain it. I'm saying, you know, if you can open your mind and just jump in for a moment and, shine the light and spread this revelation, there's going to come such an economy, if you would. I'll explain the word economy in a moment. Where you'll be well taken care of. You'll feel a sense of safety. I feel very safe, must be honest. With everything going on in the world, let me um, feel thoroughly convinced I'm in a safe place. Right? Are you, will you enlist? Will you say, yes, that's me, Randolph. I want to enlist to carry Christ. Whether in this context as a son, I want to be. But listen carefully. You see, Christ doesn't just jump on donkeys. Oh, it's caught. Who does Christ jump on? Coats. The Bible says the apostles took off their coats and put their coats on the donkey and its coat. What must cover the father-son principle? The apostolic principle. You want the grace of Christ without the covering of apostles, it doesn't work. Eh? What did the crowd do? Or most of the crowd, as it says. They took, you know what a coat depicts, by the way? I've got to change the notes. It's a mantle of anointing. Remember Elisha's uh, coat? Uh, he, was, he took it and he gave it to, upon his uh, ascension, he gave it to his son, Elisha. Elisha took that coat and what did he do? It was the first, he, he struck the water and the water parted, remember? 
Coats always depicts a, a mantle of anointing to get a specific job done. Like the, the garments of the high priest. Aaron was garbed, arrayed from head to toe. In fact, when you look at the garments of the high priest, do you know the only visible part of flesh was the eyes? Some part of the cheek. God wanted the entire flesh of the high priest clothed upon with a grace, a mantle, or anointing. By the way, it wasn't hot because those garments wore linen. Too much of our flesh is seen, but we need to be clothed upon. The apostolic. Please, brethren, some of you are not getting this. I want to say it again. Apostles took their mantles of apostolic and clothed the Father, clothed the Son. Christ is not getting onto any Father wineskin that's not closed over by the apostolic. There are many other expressions of the fathers and wineskin, as you know. But I'm glad. You know what? The, the term apostolic needs to be rescued. You need to love the term. You need to appreciate what you, what you have. Tell your neighbor, we are clothed. We are clothed. Now, I'm not talking to ordinary believers here this morning. I'm speaking prophetically to you all. Let me just say this to you. I'm going to prophesy to you now. Some of you have entered this economy with blazing guns wholeheartedly. Here's a word for you. The Lord says, because you have done this, crowds now will take off their clothes laid on the ground for you as a son to walk on carrying Christ. In other words, the way will be paved for you to express your sonship and your calling by people in your sphere. Honor is coming to you. But don't get a big donkey head. When the crowds, they're not saying Hosanna to you. They're saying Hosanna to the son that you carry. When when you function in this economy, what people are going to see about you is not Randolph, he's not shouted. They're going to say, wow, this guy is carrying something. He's carrying the Christ. Hosanna to the son of David. Glory to God who saves. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the in the name of the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Time is on my side. Five minutes, then we're going to close. Amen. We're doing well with time this morning. Five minutes, and then we'll close. I want to read now, in closing, what we read last week. Paul's heart of a father towards the Philippians. Right? Now, you've got to read this with understanding, brethren. Watch what he says to them. Philippians 1 verse 8 on the next page. Page 13, the heading is become a partaker or shareholder in the grace given to apostles. You know, I entitled this, this, this teaching, Partaking. Everyone say partaking. Partaking of apostolic grace. I got the term partaking from the text here. You've got to literally partake. Get involved with it. You know, just partake. Don't stand aloof. Literally dive in. Philippians 1 verse 8, or from verse 1 to verse 8, says the following, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus, of Christ Jesus, to all the saints that in Christ Jesus were in Philippi, including the overseers, that's elders, and deacons. Who is Paul writing to? A whole city. What is the city made up of? Various households. Who leads the households? Overseers or elders. These are spiritual fathers over the house of God. Each elder is relating to Paul as an apostle. 
Paul's writing to them, and he attributes co-authorship of the book of Philippians to his son in the Lord, Timothy. They write jointly. And in verse 2, what does he say to these elders and to all the saints at Philippi? He says, grace to you. Don't take this lightly now. When an apostle or your spiritual leader says, grace to you. They're not just wishing you well. It's a deliberate invocation with verbal utterance, an assertion or a taking hold of the grace of God with the intent by verbally imparting that to you. If you don't have a revelation of this, when it's done, you will not receive it. So if I from this moment say to you, brethren, great grace be to you. Remember I taught you last week, you must say, I receive internally. I was so glad. I think John Ellie said this on Monday. As John Ellie closed the meeting, he literally said to us, we we're all standing with our hands raised, and he said, now don't pray, don't even sing. I'm going to pronounce a blessing over you. You just raise your hands, and in your heart say, I receive it, Lord. Amen. So every time I say it is an opportunity to receive it. Amen. I thank my God in every remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all. In view of your what? Come on, say it louder. In view of your what? Tell your neighbor, do not become a spectator. Become a participator. So Paul says, these Philippians don't just stand on the grandstands looking at the action. These guys say, I want in. Right? I'm going to participate. There's grace in an apostle. I'm going to dive right in. I am going to access this grace. He says um, in verse 5, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. I like verse 6. I am so convinced, I'm confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. It is, you know, verse 7 is so full of emotion. It's so full of heart. If I were to jump inside Paul's heart, I would do 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 do. That guy's heart is pulsating with, with feeling, uh, with, with intense love for the Philippians. And he says, it is only right for me, your apostle, to feel. Everyone say feel. Apostles feel much. To feel this way about you. If your apostle doesn't feel anything for you, he's probably not your apostle. He says, it's only right for me to feel this way about you. I like what he says, because I have you in my head. Not in my head. Where does he have you? I have you in my heart. We know this is true of our apostle, to whom we relate. It should be true then of every elder, of every spiritual father. Let me just say this before the Lord for you all. I have you in my heart too. My heart goes, gadoof, gadoof, gadoof. When I think about you and I pray for you, there's a well of almost like volcanic eruption of emotion, intense love that I feel for you. I really do before the Lord, both Renee and I. When we pray for you, we pray with strong emotion and concern. Leaders don't have people in their heads. Leaders have them in their hearts. Remember the high priest had a breastplate with all the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, all ingrained. God wanted the tribes not close, not on his headgear, close to his, his chest, his heart area, his emotion. Right? Now watch, listen, 
Why does he feel so strongly about them? He says, since in my imprisonment, in other words, the bad times, when everybody deserted me, and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, you are all, or what? You are, I like this, you are partakers of grace with me. The King James Version says it like this, you are partakers of my grace. Grace given to him. Okay? And I like verse 8. For God is my witness how I long for you with the affection. Splankios is the Greek word for affection. It means spleen or inward emotive parts. Deep feeling. I long for you with the affection of Christ. Let me explain it this way. Don't refer to your notes. Just listen now. The Philippian church was sons to Paul. A father says to his son, and he writes to them, grace to you. He makes a statement. Just watch. He makes a statement. I am confident that he who began a good work in you will perfect it. What does confidence suggest? Surety. Certainty. No ifs, maybes, or what ifs. This is no hit and run. To no other church did Paul say this except to those at Philippi. Why was he so confident that the purpose of God vested in the Philippian church is going to reach its ultimate end? If anybody was going to finish and attain to completion, it would have been this group. You know why? He says, because from the first day when I started in the gospel, and history, time doesn't permit me to lay out the history of the involvement with Paul. But he says from the very first day, even up to now, you stood with me. It, even in my imprisonments, confirmation of the gospel. And he makes this bold statement. He says, because you all have partaken of the grace of Christ given to me. That is why I am confident. That you guys are going to attain all the outcomes of Ephesians 4. You're going to finish all of that. This church will come finishing strong. Now, if you go over to page 14. We're going to be two minutes then we're going to wrap up. If you go over to page 14, this is what Paul, so I want to stress today. Let me say it like this. Please watch. An apostle has grace from Christ. The apostle and other ascension gift ministries rely on that grace to accomplish the objectives of their work. The objectives of their work, as laid out in Ephesians 4, are many. Until we all come to the fullness of the measure of the stature that belongs to Christ. For the building up of the body. Equipment for service for, for, for ministry. No more subject to demonic schemes. No more being children. Until we all come to the oneness of the, of the faith etc. All of that grace is in the apostle is meant to accomplish. Now, here's the deal. An apostle is not an apostle to all people. Biblically, an apostle is only an apostle to those who receive him as such. Remember Paul was sent as an apostle to the, which group of people? Gentiles. Peter as an apostle to the Jews. In the book of 1 Corinthians 2 or 12, Paul said this to the Corinthians. He said this to them. I might not be an apostle to others, but I certainly am 
one to you, because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. How many apostles were there walking with Christ? Come on, talk to me. Twelve. At the feeding of the 5,000, how many men were there? Heads of households. 5,000 men, not counting women and children. How do they sit in groups of? Fifty. When the bread, which is Christ, the word left Jesus, he infused himself into it, and he gave it to the twelve. Let's say one of them, Bartholomew, for example. One of the apostles. He receives this. Does he go to the whole multitude? He goes to the group assigned to him. So, you've got to know which apostle has been assigned to you. While others will bless you, but there's a primary connection of a specific one. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. They're all different, yet they have all have got similar, similar outcomes. Ephesians 4, they must all reach the same outcome in Christ. But in God's sovereign wisdom, just watch, brethren. A specific apostle has a unique grace configuration attendant with him that is slightly different to others. If you were ALS, you would have seen this <laughs> invisible form before your eyes. Didn't you know that, or have, haven't you seen how differently the apostles were, both in personality, in terms of, of what they release, yet all the grace of Christ, Christ, Christ expresses himself differently to different and in and through different people. Here's the deal. If you relate to a particular apostle, the predominant strength in that apostle becomes yours. Becomes yours. How did this happen to the Philippians? I want to say this to explain why on earth did Paul say to the Philippians, only for you I'm confident that he will begin a good work. Will Finish. Everyone say finish. Or completed. In that second paragraph, you would see Acts 20, 24, where I say, let me illustrate this. Paul expressed his passion to complete his divine assignment by saying, so that I might finish my course and ministry. Repeat after me, that I might finish. If you want to picture this, picture Paul saying to these, I think he was talking to the Ephesian elders here. He's saying to them, oh, that I might finish my course. He expresses a wish. Question, did Paul finish? How do you know? He said so. <laughs> okay. Second Timothy chapter 4. It's there in your notes. He said to Timothy, I've run my course. Of, I have finished. Did Paul finish? Did he express a desire to finish Acts 20? Did he finish Second Timothy 4? So the capacity to finish was part of the grace configuration of Paul. The Philippian church saw this and they participated in it. Paul is now convinced because you partnered with this. What is true of me becomes true of you. What my potential is, you people can also access it. The Philippian church finished powerfully the assignment for no other reason. For many, probably other reasons, but predominantly because of their association and their locking in to the grace configuration vested in the Apostle Paul. Having said all of this, brethren, can you then afford not to participate in apostolic grace? Yes or no? No ways. It's not up for argument. We all have to. I like the, the framing 
of the uh, Message Bible there. I like this. I sent this to you early in the week. Philippians 1.6. He said, There has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that God who started this great work in you will keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish. How's that term? It's my new favorite term. A flourishing finish. You know, I ran comrades many moons ago. Things I used to do, I do them no more. <laughs> and you know, the, you've seen the end of the race on TV, how some come in barely making it. Then you get others, wow, it's like, hey, what's walking the park this? Who wants to finish strong? You know, flourishing, not just barely making it. This is the idea here. You must finish well, brethren. All of you must finish well. Let me just say this to you, and you can think about this. The apostle to whom we relate has a specific grace configuration. What is true of him can be true of all of you. I'll make a bold statement. What is true of him can be true of every single one of us. Please, I need your thorough attention right now. I'm going to pray a prayer of impartation. This is the whole intent of the study. is to make you aware of what is available to you. Apostle Tamoy has specific strengths that are well known. There's a dignity, uh, a royalty within the sonship dynamic that God has graced him with. He brings a, a regality, and this is known globally. There's a royalty attendant with the grace that he carries. I want to declare over us all, you are kingly. You are kingly. Because the house to whom you belong is a kingly house. It's a stately house. We are not riffraff. We are king's kids. Receive this as I talk. You belong to, there's such a, I'm trying to find, a pedigree. There's like a particular caliber of grace that God in His sovereign wisdom has connected this house to. It's a grace that does not know lack. Can be yours. It's a grace that is full of faith in the face of insurmountable odds. It's a grace that is designed to overcome. It's a grace that recruits with it uncanny favor. Say, I receive. Grace must characterize you. And I'm saying to all of us, now comes the change. I prophesy over you. Grace, you know, um, Stephen, Acts 6, 8 says, And Stephen, full of grace. I want to encourage us all. Grace, characteristic, must be yours. Okay, prophesy to your neighbor. Say, neighbor, you are the face of grace. Also, the grace to whom we are attached to is revelationally. It decodes mysteries. It's global in its impact. So I want to encourage you to expand your, trust God to expand your sphere of influence. This is the grace to which we are attached. The Philippians attached in Paul to a grace that finishes things. 
Paul said, I want to finish. He said, I have finished. He says to those that participated in his grace, I am confident you will finish. Amen? I hear the Lord saying to us, all that is vested in and through the apostolic grace to which we relate, we have the potential to access double portion as sons. So I declare to you, you are kingly, you are stately, you are royal, you are regal. You will know no lack, no deficiency. A faith will well up inside of you in the face of when you feel like you can't make it, a robust tenacity, faith disposition will, will attend you and the will of God for your life will be accomplished. I declare that over you. Lift your hands to the Lord. We are not haphazardly positioned. We're not arbitrarily placed. God has been good to us. You know, when I think about these things, I get emotional because God has been good to us. God has been extremely gracious to us. We are already accurately placed. All I want you now is to participate in the quantum and the quality of grace that now comes to us. Let's look to the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for your word. How honored we feel today to be part of the family of God. We honor you as our heavenly Father. We love you with all of our hearts, our soul, our mind, and our strength. We love you and only you, Father. You are the, the sum total of all of our affection. It's devoted to you. Our hearts will never leave you. We pledge today. We will always keep you as the object of our worship. The object of our love will be you always. Thank you for saving us by your grace. Thank you for maturing us even now by your grace. Father, on behalf of everyone, I want to offer thanksgiving to you for how you've positioned us and placed us. For so many globally are not placed correctly, but we are. And for this, we want to thank you from the depths of our hearts. We feel privileged. We feel favored. We, we know that this is none of our own doing. It's because you, you said in your word that the Spirit sets members in the body as it pleases Him. Thank you that you are well pleased to place us strategically. We're honored. And we realize, Father, that to whom... Much is given, much will be required. Help us, Father, to bring in the grace of Christ on the Father, Son, wineskin. Help us to be clothed over with this apostolic mantle. The coat of the apostolic, all twelve, ultimately will be realized. Twelve configurations of grace globally upon one community of fathers and sons. We, we long to see these things in our day. Now, God, I thank you that everyone here present will finish the assignment to which they've been called. The grace and the capacity to conclude things that are lying unresolved will now come to us. I declare to you, church, you will finish. No ifs, no maybes, no buts. I declare no one is backsliding here. No one here will be lost to the world. Nobody, no child, no adult, none of you. I declare based upon the word we heard, you will finish your assignment and finish strong, you will. No lack will tend your life and that of your kids. No lack. The supply of grace 
and the provision of the Lord will always attend you and will always be abundant within your life. I declare that you are people of grace. You are grace characterized. You are the face of grace. I declare these realities to you. You are full of grace and power. And now may multiplied grace be your portion. May grace in its fullest measure be multiplied to all of you. May you be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. I declare these things as done in your lives in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.